Cameron's leaving Friday, Aaron Davis is leaving today, and um, got some uh, Harding people, some Lipscomb people that are leaving, some others that are leaving, so if you see some of our college kids, um, bless them before they leave us uh, this week. They're leaving, and I just got back, and I want to take just a moment to say thank you to, there are definitely some people that have to work overtime so that I can make sure that uh, I get a vacation, and I want to say thank you to those that have done that. You know, Karen has to work a little extra harder in the office, and Matt does so much work around here. A lot of it's unseen, and, uh, you know, he's not uh, preaching as frequently. And for me to go on vacation requires him to do all the things that he's already doing and then add to his plate the stuff that I was doing. So I thank Matt for uh, doing that, and thank you, Richard, for preaching on Sunday night. Uh, really, really appreciate all the work that people do so that my family can get away for vacation, and Back to reality. <laughs> you know, reality's not so bad when you love it, and I love my reality, so uh, I'm glad to be back with you all. I'm pretty excited because this morning we're going to begin our new fall teaching series on Sunday mornings. It's going to run us through the month of October, and we're calling it Ready for War. Um, and we're going to spend all fall in one passage of Scripture might sound like a little extreme, but as you see, we're going to break it down. It'll make sense. We're going to spend all of our fall, August, September, and October, in the passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6, mainly verses 10 through about 24, the armor of God, where Paul gives his most explicit teaching on how to fight the spiritual battle that each and every one of us are fighting. This morning, we're going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 just to get us started in this series, because in this passage that Cameron read for us, it elaborates on the essence of the war that we're in, so we can make sense of it, and then Ephesians chapter 6 is going to teach you how to fight. You know, I can't really speak for any of you, but I know for myself, the idea of a spiritual warfare, you know, like Satan, his angels, demons, can be a little bit strange for me. You know, it's not strange for many other cultures in our world, like Latin America, Africa, Asia. They're not really um, tripped out by the idea of spiritual warfare, but something has to do with us Western people where we're, we, we like to measure and to predict things and to control things and know all these things. And so I know a large part of me likes to think that the only thing going on in my world are the things that I can hear, see, touch, and taste. That's all that's happening. And yet, Scripture speaks really clearly about a dimension of life where a war is fighting. And that dimension of life is the spiritual realm that all of us must be ready to fight in. In his introduction to the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote a really great book. Everyone in here should read this book. Uh, the, the concept behind the book is that one man who is a, a, an angel of the devil, you know, he's a demon... He's writing to his nephew, who's also training to be a demon, an angel of the devil. And he's writing to this nephew to teach him how to manipulate and to trick and to deceive Christians. That's what the whole story is. C.S. Lewis wrote called The Screwtape Letters. And in his introduction to this book, he said this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall into about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased with both errors, and they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. 
And his point is this. Satan really doesn't care if you don't believe in him at all or if you're overly obsessed with him. Either way, he has an advantage over you in this spiritual battle. You see, if you attribute, if you're overly obsessed with Satan and you attribute everything to him, you get a flat tire on your way to work, it must be the devil against you. You get, you know, a cough this fall and it's just, oh, the devil's attacking me again. If you're overly obsessed with him, you assign way too much power to him and you'll probably overly fear him. But the other side is this. If you attribute nothing to him, you're probably going to be denying the power that he does have, and you'll disregard him. And either position, obsessed or disregarding him, leaves you vulnerable and unprepared in the spiritual battle. You see, our goal this fall is to understand this battle. We'll be very practical and very helpful. We want to understand what the battle is, who our enemy is, who we're fighting. we got to really get to know who he is, the way he works. And we're going to bring to fruition, hopefully... All of the power that is available to you to fight this spiritual battle and have victory in Jesus Christ. So hopefully by the end of October, you'll be able to walk through this and make some sense of it and hopefully have some victory in Jesus Christ. So to get started this morning, we're going to just start very basic with understanding the battle that we are in. I, I realize that's probably the first place we need to start, that many of us might not be aware that there is a war raging on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, existing in us right now. There's a battle, and you're in that battle. And if you're not aware of it, you're probably not fighting very well. And so this morning I want us to know the nature of the battle, the location of this battle, and the outcome. Let's start with the nature. In this text that Cameron read for us in verses 3 and 4, you see the beginning of it, he presents this tension that exists in every Christian's life. The tension of flesh versus the spirit. The tension of the physical versus the spiritual, the, or the, uh, the, that which is unseen. The tension between that which you can taste and touch and see between that which you cannot. The war is not happening in the physical realm. The war is happening in the spiritual realm. That's where the war takes place. That's the nature of this battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, when we turn over there later... Next week, starting next week, we'll see in verse 12, Paul says, we do not wrestle or fight or war against flesh and blood. That's not what we're fighting against. He'll go on to explain that we war against principalities and powers, the principles that rule the governing and the darkness of this age. He says that's what we fight against. Now, this does not mean that our struggles do not take flesh and blood form. They most certainly do. They take flesh and blood form, but that's not where our fight is. It can be a boss that's difficult, a woman that is on a screen that you're watching that is not your wife that you lust after, money that you have that you're greedy with or don't have that you're obsessed over, a health problem that you're facing with that's really bringing you down, or a car accident that ruins your day, your week, or your month, maybe abuse that you're facing by a loved one or a comment by a cruel person against your weight, your looks, your clothing, or lack of whatever. All of these come to us in flesh and blood form. But the war is not with the flesh and the blood. The war is actually in the spiritual. See, this is one of Satan's best works, is to make you focus on all that is seen so that you miss what is unseen, where the war is really being fought. And that's where we come to point number two, the location of this war. 
the location of this battle. In verses 4 and 5, Paul uses a host of words that really give you a clue as to where this battle is raging and where this battle is being fought, and it might surprise you. He uses words like argument and opinion and a word like thought. And that tells you all the indication of where this battle is being fought. You see, this battle that we're fighting is not a battle in the flesh. It's a battle where? In your mind. Arguments. Where do arguments take place mostly? Who do you reason with? Yourself all the time. Opinions. That's where we form them in our mind. And thoughts. The goal of this eventually is to bring every thought into captivity of Jesus Christ. The war is raging, not in the flesh, but in our mind. And the essence of the battle is this. Look in verses uh, 4 and 5. He says, the weapons of our warfare, that which God gives us to fight, are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. The weapons that we have have divine power to do one thing, to destroy strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? What weapons is God giving us? We'll talk about later in the armor of God. But what weapons is God giving us to destroy strongholds? What's a stronghold? Well, he says in verse 5, we destroy. See, he's picking up the language to tell you what a stronghold is. Arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You see, there's a war that's raging in the mind of every human being that is based in reasoning and arguing and logic, we think, and based in opinions that we form that are lofty or exalting of mankind that are raised against the knowledge of who God is, the glory and greatness of God. And every one of us are fighting this battle. And the arguments and the opinions that are raging in us form what Paul calls strongholds. A stronghold is a, another word that Paul is borrowing, borrowing from this war metaphor. A stronghold, think of the, um, the city of Jericho. It was in a stronghold. Remember how Jericho was built? It was surrounded by what? By walls. And the point of those walls was nobody gets in, but also nobody goes out. The stronghold, a stronghold is just simply a fortified place of protection, of safety. Where you run to to feel safe and protected when you believe you're being attacked. So you run to the stronghold. You get behind the walls. And when you're being attacked, you hide in there and nothing comes out and nothing comes in. It just locks itself in. You see, this stronghold, as Paul's explained to us, is not a physical location. What God is wanting to do is demolish and destroy, dismantle the strongholds that we run to that are raised against the knowledge of who God is. And it's not physical. It's in the mind. Here's what strongholds are. Strongholds are the false beliefs that you currently have, that you run to when you face difficulty, and they promise you protection and safety, and they're literally a prison of your soul. Strongholds are these false beliefs that we have about God, that we have about others, that we have about the world, that we have about ourselves. that when we face difficulty, we run to these strongholds, these, 
that are, that are fortified by arguments and opinions that we logically work in our minds that are not helping us. But they tell us, you'll be safe if you keep believing this. You'll be safe if you stay here. And we, when we feel attacked, will run to these places. You and I right now have false beliefs about God, this world, other people, and ourselves that are strongholds. And God is wanting to dismantle those strongholds. We run to these beliefs, and we live out of these beliefs, and we think that they're helping us, but they're hurting us. And when God promised salvation in Jesus Christ, what he promised was the destruction of strongholds. This is why Christianity is so difficult for you, why it's so difficult for me. Every person in this room, I don't care if you're 10 years old or 100 years old, you know right and wrong. Am I right? You don't wrestle typically with what to do and what not to do, knowing. What you wrestle with are the false beliefs that drive your behavior to sin and not to God. Those are strongholds. And you've held these beliefs for years and years. You learn them when you were little and you hold these beliefs that are based upon false arguments and lofty opinions that are rooted in sin and you go into them for safety and protection and they're imprisoning you against God. And God said, when I promise to save you, I promise to destroy those strongholds. You see, that's what Christianity really is about. One of the false things that uh, we're sort of lear- we've learned in our culture that Satan has sort of spread is that uh, life is really about this sort of like, and religion is like this vending machine where what God wants to do, if we put in the right money and we push the right button, you know, like B6, then we just get a happy life back comfort and peace and ease and so what God exists to be is just I push the right buttons and give him the right things and I push it and it comes and I get an easy life and that's not really what Christianity is about Christianity is about this one concept in Romans 12 it says the renewal of your mind a different mind means a different life and you run to sin because you believe wrong things You run to sin because you have the false beliefs and false arguments in the mind that is not yet ready to run to God. What is a mind? A mind is simply this. It is the place in you where you reason and you reflect and you judge and you conclude and you contemplate. That's what your mind is. It's not just your brain. And it's not just your personality. Your mind is the place where you reason and reflect and contemplate and think about things and you make conclusions. That's what your mind is. It is more than just a computer that receives data and spits data back out. Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 4 that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Meaning this, that your mind has a spirit, an attitude, a disposition, a posture. And it colors everything in life for you. Your mind is the filter by which you interpret everything in this world everything. It's like one person said, we don't describe the world we see. We see the world we describe. You understand the difference? You know, you have an optic nerve from, you have one optic nerve that comes from your eyes, and your eyes are actually just an extension of your brain. Did you know this? And your optic nerve sends more data to your eyes than it receives from your eyes. You don't See the world you just you see the world you describe, and that's what our mind does for us. You see, sin has affected our mind. Let me give you a few of the words that 
are in the Bible associated with, with what has happened to our minds in sin. It says that we have a confused mind, a deceived mind, a corrupted mind, a defiled mind, a split mind, a blind mind, a hardened mind, a poisoned mind, a debased mind. Sin has, in its very base level, made our minds hostile towards the supremacy of God. And the default position of a, of a mind that is in sin is self-trust and self-interest. That's the default position of a mind in sin. I trust me, and I'm only interested in me. That's all it is. And see, sin has made our minds hostile towards God's supremacy. And we have arguments. We make arguments. We give logical reasons. And we have opinions from a mind in sin that creates strongholds, beliefs that are not true. That need to be torn down. Okay, let me in just a minute try to wrestle this thing to the ground, okay? Let me try to make it really practical for you. Because I know for just about five minutes there, we're talking kind of lofty ideas. Let me try to make very much sense of this. Because everybody in this room needs to discover what their strongholds are and be ready to destroy them by the power of God. The first place you look to find your own strongholds is the sin that you typically run to in your life. Just do a quick reflection of your life. What sin do you typically run to? A great place to start would be Ephesians chapter, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, where Paul tells us the works of the flesh are this. Let me tell you, things like sexual immorality. Do you run to perverted ways of sexuality? Do you run to that? Impurity. That just means to throw off moral restraint because I just kind of want to be rebellious and wild. Do you do that? Do you run to sensuality? That means to literally just live in the moment for your senses, to not really think about legacy and impact in your uh, character. Do you just live sensually? Or idolatry. That means that you bounce from purpose to purpose and you pour divine attributes into whatever you're doing in that moment, thinking that if I get this right, I'm going to feel great about myself. Do you run to those kind of things? Sorcery. Kind of a weird statement there in Galatians chapter 5. It wasn't weird for them. You know what sorcery just means? It's where we get our word pharmacy. It just means medicine that comes from magic. Okay? Do you run to the latest and greatest thing that you believe is going to fix everything for you? Enmity. Boy, this is an important one today. You know what enmity means? To constantly be creating enemies. And you know how that looks? Here's, here's what 2017 enmity looks like. You're always a victim. It's always somebody's fault. Somebody's always offending you. And you walk into a situation and somebody says one thing and you walk out and say, oh, how could that? That's enmity. That's, that, that's a problem. If every situation in your life with every person ends up with, they offended me and hurt me and how could they do this to me? You're living in the sin of enmity. You're constantly creating enemies. Or how about strife? That's the active sense where you're constantly stirring up problems. Or jealousy. That's the passion that overflows like boiling water that bubbles out into fits of rage. What he says, fits of anger. Do you have uncontrolled outbursts? How about rivalries? You know what rivalries is? Where you're constantly trying to create followers of you. You need people giving you attention to make you feel better about yourself. Dissensions means to cause division. I see a group that's going well there. Look at this great group of people. And I constantly try to wiggle in and just break them down because I feel left out of that group. Divisions, that means to create your own little subsets of people. 
that I, that I want to divide people. Envy. Drunkenness. It means to numb myself with substances so I can forget where I am and what I'm doing. And orgies. That's kind of a strange word. We usually think of the sexual word when we think of that. But what it really means is wild gatherings that go late into the night that just indulge in whatever's available. Okay, that's just a list. Which one of those popped out to you? What do you run to? What kind of, I'm guessing in this room, we probably stay away from like the sorcery stuff. We probably aren't dealing much with orgies, maybe. But somewhere in the middle there, we're dealing with enmity and jealousy and fits of rage. What do you run to? That's where you find your stronghold. Your stronghold is your belief that tells you to run to this sin. And to stop running to that sin, whatever you fall on that list, you've got to destroy the stronghold. And to destroy your stronghold, you're going to need new arguments. Because the old arguments are fortifying the stronghold. You're going to need new opinions because your opinions are fortifying it. You know how this goes. When you run into this sin, who are you talking to that leads you to the sin? You're talking to yourself, right? And you walk into a room and you have this situation. And let, let me give you a couple examples. Let's say you struggle with fits of anger or rage. What is that stronghold? That stronghold is typically something like the idea that, that I have to deliver justice. And the argument is nobody else is giving justice and justice deserves to be given to this situation. So I'm going to rage and I'm going to deliver justice. That's typically what the stronghold is. Well, how do you break that down? Well, you learn from God, he says, hey, guess what? Vengeance is, you tell me, mine. Maybe I don't have to outburst with rage. Because I've got a sovereign God that knows how to handle this situation. Do you see how that works? Let's say you struggle with greed. And scripture, week after week, is laid on your heart that says, care for the poor and the needy. And you look at him and you say, I worked hard for my money. They're just lazy. They don't try. Do you see that stronghold? You need new arguments. That's, you probably, you're probably standing on the shoulder of some giant in your life that's helped you. And there are other people in this life that need cared for and loved and compassionate. And God, the, I, the concept of caring and loving has never been about another person's character. It's always about yours. You need new arguments. If you struggle with that enmity or victimization, you walk into a room and somebody says one thing and you walk out like, Wounded. How could they say that? You need new reality. Your stronghold is the world is not about you. You need new arguments. Are you following with me what I'm saying? Find your sin that you run to. Ask yourself, what are the arguments and the, and the opinions that I'm forming that build this stronghold? And the truth of God is trying to dismantle that. Practically, let me tell you this. Do not believe every thought you have. We're like, I don't know why we do this, but I just think that if the thought comes from me, it has to be true. Do you guys do this too? Where you just think like, if I have a thought, there's no doubt that thought is true because it came from me. Like, first rule, don't believe every thought you have. Don't do it. Number two, monitor your self-talk. Hold your self-talk accountable to the word of God. Because your self-talk is not always healthy. Number three, destroy that internal false arguments you make with the truth of God and have the strength to believe it. That's how you begin to fight this war. Now we're going to talk the rest of this fall about all the things that Satan does to get you to run to those strongholds and all the provisions God has provided to help you dismantle them so that you will be set free to live the way God has designed you to live. And that's the ultimate outcome. 
You see, Satan, what he wants is just your disobedience. He doesn't care what happens to you. He just wants you to disobey God. And God's desire is this, that you go to war against your strongholds that have imprisoned you, and you return to the pleasure and peace of humble obedience. Every thought brought to the obedience of Christ, because God knows whatever has your mind has your life. And the armor that he's giving you is for you to be able to guard and protect your mind and win this battle. You know, Paul would tell us in Philippians about a mind that had this kind of ability to have victory. He told us in Philippians chapter 2 that you and I are to have this mind in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if you look at the portrait of that mind, there's two things that stand out. One, Jesus was humble. And two, Jesus was obedient. You see, what Jesus had in his mind, in his life that gave him victory was not his body, his hair, his voice, his friends. It wasn't his parents, his money, his education, his circumstances. What he had was a mind that was humble and obedient to God. And it's actually at this point that sin has its power to enter the world. There was one simple question that upset the apple cart. And that question is this. Are you sure you can trust God? And the moment you listen to that question... And what creeps in is self-trust and self-reliance and self-importance and self-interest. We begin to sin. And Jesus proved that humbly trusting God will ultimately lead to your greatest outcome. So I want to encourage all of you here, awaken to the war that we're in. Identify your strongholds and commit to fight in this battle. To have the mind that was in Jesus Christ. And if you need help with that, we're here to help you. Let's stand and sing this song.